city of Corinth. It was a heathen city. Major heathen city. Wow. And he stayed there longer than he stayed at any church he ever went to. He stayed 18 months and uh, in getting the church established. In most places he was there a few months at best. Some places just a few weeks. But he was at Corinth for 18 months. And after he left there, the, uh, the folks at Corinth began to have difficulty. And one of the things that I love about the way God works is that God knows the end from the beginning. He sees all of human history. He already knows what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. Hopefully I'm going to be worshiping at the foot of his throne. Uh, if Jesus comes back today, <laughs> if not, then I'll be busy uh, doing whatever he tells me to do. But, uh, but he, he knows the end from the beginning. And he knew that churches throughout history were going to be filled with people. One of the difficult things in working with ministry is you're working with people. Okay? A pastor friend of mine said one time, he said, Well, Casey, I would like to pastor a church of 5,000 if it didn't have any people in it. <laughs> there are times when you just know what he's talking about, you know? I mean... Uh, people have their own ideas and their own uh, traditions and their own habits and, and all this, that, and the other. And uh, I'm so appreciative that, that God wants to transform us into the image of Christ. And he does that through his word. He wants us to be like Jesus. And I'm grateful that he said, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one for another. Not that you all look alike. Not that you all walk with a cane. Not that you all keep your hair cut short. Or, or have a full beard. God didn't say any of those things. He said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you have love one to another. And Jesus raised the bar from love your neighbor as you love yourself. When he said, love one another as I have loved you. Because he loved me way more than I've ever loved myself. And so my responsibility is to love one another, to love you all the way Christ loved me. In the first hundred years of the church, actually the first 70 years of the church, every problem that any church has ever faced happened. You say, wait a minute, Brother Casey. Really? Yes. Yeah, the, uh, there have been times when the church has suffered incredible persecution. In other words, persecution comes from a Greek word that means to chase the dog out of your garden. Okay, that's a pretty apt description. You get you a baseball bat or a big stick, or if you're in the garden, a big clump of dirt. Get out of here, go home, get out of my garden, okay? And... Uh, Squirrels are too tricky to let you catch them in the garden, or I'd be persecuting them too. But Jesus said, uh, you're going to suffer persecution. And throughout history, churches have suffered terrible persecution. 
There have been lots of martyrs in the church. People killed for their faith. All of that happened in the first century. There have been problems in churches with immorality. I was uh, talking with someone over the weekend in Kansas City about Amazing Grace Baptist Church. And I said, Amazing Grace Baptist Church, that's new. I don't think I've heard of it. They said, yeah, it used to be Kansas City Baptist Temple. I said, oh, I know about Kansas City Baptist Temple. It was a great work. And the pastor fell into immorality. Actually, he didn't fall in. He walked in with his eyes wide open. And Satan covered it up until he was so deeply involved that Satan knew it would would cause massive destruction within the church. And then Satan just threw the light on it, and everybody knew about it. He was a rather famous pastor at the time. They had to change the name of the church or people wouldn't go there anymore. That occurred in the first century church. First century church, people got burned out and went home, got a real job instead of being involved in ministry. People got involved in just wanting more stuff, you know, not being content and left the ministry. And Paul said uh, they, they left because they love this present world. All of that occurred in the first century church. You say, Brother Casey, what are you going to deal with this morning about the first century church? The problem that they had with selfishness. Yeah, take your Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. They not only had a problem with selfishness, they had problems with authority. Now, I'm willing to submit to authority, but I don't like anybody telling me what to do. Think about that for a minute, okay? I'll submit to authority, but I don't want anybody telling me what to do. No, if you submit to authority, you don't mind doing what people tell you to do. In fact, I kind of like it because it relieves me of a great deal of responsibility. That's why I want to be submissive to the Holy Spirit. Then I don't have to make a bunch of decisions. All I got to do is find out what God wants and do it. And when I do what God wants, he takes the responsibility for the consequences. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So as long as your pastor is following Christ, you can follow him. That's why it is so important that you know what the Word of God says, not what you think it says. Okay? If you think the Word of God says, God helps those that help themselves, you better keep reading. It does not say that. That's poor Richard's almanac. Ben, Benjamin Franklin said that. Okay? You say, but Brother Casey, I've heard that all my life. Yes, don't believe about the Bible what you have heard all your life. Okay? One of the reasons God had it translated into English and allowed you to be born in a country where English is spoken is because he knew that in America school education was going to be mandatory. And so he let you be born here so that you could learn to read. 
Not everybody enjoys reading. Not everybody can read well. Some people have dyslexia. The letters get changed around. Okay? Some people, like my wife's family, just change whole words around. You know? But there are people who have difficulty with reading. That does not excuse you from reading the Word of God. If you can't read it for yourself, then you get it on CD or you get it on your iPod or iPhone or whatever and listen to it. Because you are responsible to God for knowing what the Word of God says. So Paul says, Be ye followers of me even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. What ordinances? Well, he gave them two ordinances. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism was to be done following a person's faith in Christ and the profession of that faith in his death, burial, and resurrection. Paul tells them that. Jesus said that. He said, go into all the world and teach all nations. Not go into all the world, excuse me. <laughs> go into all the nations, teach all nations, and then baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? There are some denominations and some churches that practice infant baptism, thinking that that, 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 that will keep their babies safe should something happen to them. David's baby did not get baptized, and yet when it died, David said, he can't come to me, but I can go to him. I can go be with him. Why? Because babies are safe. They're protected by the blood of Christ. Christ died for the sins of the whole world, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 tells us. Not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And until a person becomes conscious of what sin is, until they come to the age where they know that they have sinned, they are protected. Amen. Unborn babies are protected. That's why if a woman has a miscarriage, I grieve with her because she's not going to get to raise the baby. But if she knows Jesus Christ as personal Savior, I rejoice with her because she's going to get to spend eternity with that baby. Amen. It's going to, I mean, that's going to be cool. Some Bible scholars believe that she will be able to watch that baby grow up in heaven. You say, do you believe that, Brother Casey? No. But I don't disbelieve it either. I know that God is a gracious, wonderful God. And I have no idea what he's going to do uh, to make heaven sweeter than it already already appears to be to us. That's why I think there's going to be dinosaurs in heaven. Why would he give so many kids a love for dinosaurs and then not provide them for us in heaven? You know? In fact, I'm thinking about getting me one when I get there. You know? These ordinances that I delivered to you, the ordinance of baptism. Baptism. Is like putting on a uniform. Okay? If you join the military in the United States of America, 
you go to the recruiting office or the receiving center or whatever they call it now in St. Louis and you take the oath of office, okay? You swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States and protect our country from all enemies, foreign and domestic. And at that point, you are in the military. And I had some friends come out of high school, long hair, you know, shaggy long hair. And they were in the military before anybody knew it. I mean, they came back from the uh, induction center where they had taken the oath of office, and they still look like hippies. For you young people who don't know what hippies are, see me after the service. I'll explain it to you. Okay? They still look like hippies. But then the day came when they went to basic training. And they got on the bus looking like ordinary hippies. They got off the bus looking like ordinary hippies. They went first to the barbershop. And this one guy said that he went in the barbershop, and he said, just take a little off the sides, leave it long in the back. And the guy with the razor said, how about if I just even it all up? He evened it all up, and the guy had no hair. And then they go from there to the quartermaster, and the quartermaster starts throwing clothes at him. Underwear, shoes, actually boots, boots, socks, shirts, pants. And they carry all that to the barracks, and they put it in the locker, except they take their old clothes off and they put their uniform on, and they walk out. And guess what? When they walk out, they look like soldiers. They have identified themselves as members of the military. Were they members of the military before? Yeah, but nobody knew. They looked like ordinary hippies. When a person receives Jesus Christ as personal Savior, they come before the church and they make a profession of faith. What's that mean? It means they say, I have trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I believe he died on the cross for me. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And I know that based on his promise and his word, I am going to heaven when I die. And I want to follow him in believer's baptism. That's why we call it believer's baptism, because it happens after you believe. Now, when a person goes to the pool... To be baptized, the word baptized means to submerge or to immerse. When they go to the pool, then they picture what they actually believe. They demonstrate it. They are dead to Christ. And they are buried with Christ. And they rise again to walk in newness of life like Christ did. It's like putting on the uniform when you get inducted into the military. That's what baptism is. It's a symbol. By the same token, the other ordinance Paul gave to the church was the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And we're going to do that this morning. We have never had the Lord's Supper on Sunday morning since I've been pastor here. And this past week, actually several months ago, somebody mentioned it to me and it abruptly slipped my mind. And this past week I was thinking about something else entirely and the Holy Spirit said, what do you do for those people who are not able to attend services on Sunday night because that's when we serve the Lord's Supper. I said, what do you mean? He said, when do they get to take the Lord's Supper? And I said, this Sunday morning? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Good time. 
So this morning we're going to take the Lord's Supper. But listen to what Paul says about it. He says, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. This is the ordinance that he delivered to them. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Now, that word testament there is the same as the word covenant. Brother Greg preached on that last Sunday morning. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. You are picturing the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for us till he comes back for us. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. In 1 John chapter 5, John writes about a sin unto death for Christians. That's what Paul is referring to here. People who come to the Lord's table very carelessly. Oh yeah, everybody's doing it, so I'll do it. Without taking the time to recognize their need to be obedient to Christ. And their need to, rec- to recognize that He is Lord in their life. Because He's the one who died and shed His precious blood for us. We are not to do this carelessly. person who does, does it carelessly does not discern. They do not understand the significance of this ordinance. And so we offer it to folks who have trusted Christ as Savior, who have followed the Lord in believers' baptism, and who are now ready to say, yes, I want to be mindful of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back for me. I want to live my life so that if it comes back today, I won't have, I won't have to, a whole bunch of stuff I have to confess to him. I won't have a bunch of unconfessed sin I have to deal with. It'll all be under the blood. If he comes back today, I won't have to... Uh, be embarrassed. John also writes that in First John chapter 3. He writes that we ought to live our lives so that we're not ashamed at his coming. And so I'm going to ask the deacons to come. Have a seat here on the front. And in just a few moments, we're going to ask them to deliver to you the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper.